This is the Four Potatoes Podcast. I'm Mark Earhart. You've probably heard of a little dance craze that swept the nation in the mid-1920s. That's right, the Charleston. Picture girls in long flapper dresses, dancing with sweaty strangers in dark clubs. They looked like drunks on ice skates, arms and legs flailing in unpredictable flashes, feet wiggling in rhythmic zigzags. No two dancers did it the same way. It was all about showing off your own personal style. Then came the backlash. A dance counter-revolution. One you've probably never even heard of. And the guy who started it all? Well, I'll get to him in a minute. In late 1925, a very different kind of dance craze swept the nation. Suddenly, people were dusting off the old-fashioned dances that their grandparents used to do. Square dances, contra dances, waltzes and polkas. Dances that had long gone out of fashion. Dances with names like the Badger Gavotte, the Virginia Reel, and the Ripple. These dances were all about self-control, grace, and cooperation. Unlike the modern dances, teamwork trumped personal style. And the mastermind behind this dance counter-revolution? Henry Ford, the genius who invented the Model T car the man who had done more than probably anyone to transform America into a modern, industrialized, mass-produced consumer society. And yet, to Ford, the modern world was becoming morally and culturally corrupt. He decided to make a stand on the dance floor. Now, there were five steps to Ford's dance counter-revolution. Step one, set up a training camp to ready your troops for battle. Ford hired Benjamin Lovett, a dance instructor from Massachusetts who knew all the old dances and moved him to Dearborn, Michigan. Ford cleared out a section of his company's engineering lab and installed a special wood floor. Lovett began teaching evening dance classes for the community. Ford Motor Company managers were expected to attend. One observer wrote, For two solid weeks, the top brass came to work wilted by nightly polkas and wondering if and when in all hell it would end. Ford would even drop in on his employees during the workday to help them brush up on dance moves they had fumbled the night before. At first, his interest in reviving the dances seemed like pure nostalgia. Ford had met his wife Clara at a New Year's dance, and as a young man, he had learned to play a few traditional tunes on the fiddle, but it soon turned into an obsession and a crusade. Step 2. Every good revolution needs a soundtrack. Doubly so for a dance revolution. Ford tracked down an 80-year-old fiddler named Jasper Bisbee in Michigan's Upper Peninsula and convinced him to record tunes in his pal Thomas Edison's New Jersey studio. Yes, that Thomas Edison. Here's Bisbee, accompanied by his daughter Beulah on piano playing Devil's Dream. In the spring of 1925, Ford put together Henry Ford's Old Fashioned Dance Orchestra, featuring fiddle, dulcimer, and tuba. Besides being Ford's house band, they toured the country and made several recordings for Edison, some including calls by his dance master, Benjamin Lovett. Here they are performing Hungarian Varsuvian. 
Madras Corners. Ned Couples, forward and back. Forward again and turn the opposite. Step three, put it in print. Thomas Paine wrote pamphlets attacking the British monarchy. Mao Zedong had his little red book. Henry Ford and his dance master wrote a small dance manual that became the chief weapon in their old-time dance revival. The book was serialized in newspapers around the country. According to Ford and Lovett, modern dances like the Charleston and the Black Bottom were vulgar excuses for public groping. The traditional dances, however, taught restraint. They wrote, There should not be bodily contact in the dance except through the arms. A gentleman should be able to guide his partner through a dance without embracing her as if he were her lover or her rescuer. But Ford and Lovett couldn't leave it at that. They wrote that dances reflect the racial characteristics of the people who dance them. Because the modern dances were imported from Africa and from the gypsies of South America and the, quote, hot-blooded races of Southern Europe, they encouraged sensuality and loose morals. The old-fashioned dances, on the other hand, were those that best fit the American temperament. Take that, you degenerate flappers! Step 4. Flood the airwaves. On a Tuesday and Friday night in January 1926, an informal network of 13 radio stations across the Northeast and Midwest simulcast a live dance band from New York City. Now keep in mind, radio was still a new experimental medium. There were no national radio networks. Stations would pick up a signal from another town and retransmit it. On those frosty winter nights, a dance instructor called out the moves over the air so listeners from New York to Detroit to Cincinnati could all dance together. Ford car dealerships within range of the signals put up loudspeakers, handed out dance manuals, and hosted square dancers in their showrooms, all dancing in sync with the caller in New York. Step 5. If you want your revolution to last, indoctrinate the kids. Benjamin Lovett, Ford's dance master, launched a program teaching old-timey dance to students in the Dearborn Public Schools. The program, aided by recordings and Ford's dance manual, expanded to other parts of the country. Chances are, if you attended elementary school in the past hundred years, you learned how to square dance too. In a sense, you have Ford and Lovett to thank for the tradition. By the end of 1925, Ford's dance revival had spun into a full-blown dance craze. On December 15th, more than 5,000 people crowded into the Arcadia Ballroom in Detroit, on a Tuesday night no less, to dance old-timey square dances, contra dances, waltzes, polkas, and shottishes to a live orchestra. 2,000 more people were turned away because the palatial facility was at capacity. The Copley Plaza Hotel in Boston also hosted a large old-timey dance series. Fiddle contests sprouted up in towns across the Northeast, Midwest, and South. Winners of the local contests went on to state and regional competitions. Several regional winners toured the country and won recording contracts. Three major record labels, Victor, Columbia, and Edison, each put out phonograph records of old-timey music some with dance instructions. Maybe Ford thought he had won the dance war, but at best, it was a temporary truce. It's true, the Charleston eventually fell out of fashion, 
But of course, Ford's old-timey dances that seemed so fresh again soon went back to being, eh, just plain old dances. They couldn't compete with wave after wave of new dances like the Lindy Hop and the Jitterbug, which would themselves seem passé next to the horrors of rock and roll. Ford, the man who declared, I invented the modern world, should have known better than most that the only thing that stays the same is that nothing stays the same. To learn more about the music you've heard in this episode, see images from Henry Ford's Little Dance Manual, and much more, visit me on the web at fourpotatoes.org. Thanks for listening.